barihi wa sahbihi wa man Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream. And today we begin with a, not a correction, I guess a correction, yeah. So yesterday when I was mentioning uh, Dr. Nibel, the brothers cut a clip of the bee venom uh, video, a uh, clip and made a video out of that. That bee venom is a cure. So it has curing properties for humans. So I had mentioned Dr. Nibel as a para... I said he's, he's so athletic now, he's like a Paralympian, right? Uh, what I meant was like, you know, decath- like, you know people who do multiple sports, right? Like a decathlete, like it does 10, 10 sports or whatever. Uh, but I just said Paralympian by mistake. So he's not uh, paralyzed at all, alhamdulillah for that. He's not paralyzed, but that's what I meant was that he's like a, a decathlete, like someone who does many things, which that's not even the right phrase for him because he's mainly a biker now. But um, I just said meant that as an emphasis, but hopefully that, um, yeah, I might just got my, my prefixes confused there. All right, segment numero uno. Today, we begin with... Shema'il, first of all, Shema'il of a Tirmidhi. Then I'm going to share to you today, I'm going to talk to you in segment number two about the wisdoms of Sira class. So, Rai, if you could pull up a, a shot from that, from my arc view, so I could tell everybody about wisdoms of Sira, such an important book. Uh, 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 yes, important book that Sheikh Al-Bulti wrote, which we did uh, a class on at Safina Society, and that class is there. So, on, on arc view, then thir- number three, segment number three today is going to be on this article here. If you haven't read this, I, I shared this around to all my friends. This article right here is, has, is, is a really good article that Yaqeen put out. And it's more like a paper than anything. It's long. It's about 50 pages. And I'm only going to talk about certain chapters that I felt were really good. Uh, especially, mainly after the ball, the plan to alter American sexual morality, which is basically from page 21 to uh, 23. It's just a short sex segment that I want to talk about today, in which we got people got played with, whether they realize it or not. They they got played by basic marketing, right? Marketing strategies, repetition, uh, association, typical marketing strategies to get this idea across and to get everyone sympathetic uh, with with the cause. All righty, let's go to segment number one. Al-Shama'il al-Muhammadiyyah lil-Imam al-Tirmidhi. Chapter number 45. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Babu ma jaa fi firashi rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. We just know so much about the messenger, it's unbelievable. And other faiths and religions are following a prophet who's, does not, there's hardly a historical record of, of the person, let alone details. We have more details for the prophet Muhammad wasallam than are present and exist in, for like George Washington, right? <coughs> Think about that. And that was only how long? I was one time taking my... Um, a GRE exam at an exam center and they were talking about an artifact and the guy said, this artifact is from 1700. A year, a 
ancient time years ago, right? Decades, centuries ago. I'm like 1700, that's like recent history in Islam, right? If a scholar in 1700, if, that, if you ever used a scholar from the 1700s as primary evidence, right? Even like secondary evidence, that, that wouldn't be, be accepted, right? No one would care. It's, that's like your contemporary. It's extremely recent. So the amount of knowledge we have about the Prophet, firstly, it just shows us the amount of love that the Sahaba had. Like the, they were just, and, and, and why do human beings love like that? Is it just mere imitation? I don't think so. They love like that because of what the Prophet did for their personal lives. Okay, Not just the mental, because if you mentally know this is your Prophet, and I have to respect him, number one, okay, then at that point, like, it's, it's, it's rational. It's not emotional. This is emotional. When someone says, oh, his bed was like this, his couch was like that, they must have done something to the, mess- to the messenger, so I said him his presence and his actions did something to them that so moved them on the inside. And we have this still amongst our awliya. And Sheikh Amin told a story about his teacher the other day. SubhanAllah. He said he had a sheikh and they had a 10-hour drive. In the, they're in the da'wah. They move. Sheikh Amin, you tell him, you go 25 hours through five brick walls, he'll do it for the da'wah. And he had a sheikh and they're going and they teach Qur'an. So they had 10 hours of driving. The entire time, Sheikh Amin couldn't get a word in. He, was, he did salawat on the Prophet, the sheikh. Syrian, one of the Syrian scholars did salawat on the messenger the entire time. 10 hours. They got there, they cracked, they fell asleep. Sheikh Amin hears from the other room, he hears salam on the Prophet, but he also, he hears salawat, uh, he hears snoring. So he's like, wait, is there someone else in the, in the Sheikh's room? So he actually goes into the Sheikh's room, you know those when there's two rooms and there's a door in the middle in the hotels, and you can basically like go in. So he peeks in, gets worried. And he sees, he doesn't see anyone else. He sees just the sheikh. So he's like, how am I hearing snoring? And I'm hearing salawat. He goes, he looks. The sheikh is out completely. And he's snoring. And then every once in a while, he hears, Allahumma salli wa Allahumma salli wa Snoring, back to salawat. So he's in his sleep, he's making salawat. It's amazing. These are karamat al-awliya. The, the, everyone from after the time of the Prophet ﷺ received something similar to what the Sahaba received of the relief and calmness in their hearts through salawat. Because we can't sit with the Prophet anymore, we could do salawat. And that's how we receive some of the relief and the ijabat al-da'wah after the time of the Prophet ﷺ. So, you can't possibly, just because of your belief that someone is the most important person, you cannot possibly uh, be that in love. You can only be in love because something actually happened in your personal life. Your personal life in this hayat dunya changed and transformed. And we all ha- can have access to that. We all can have access to that through a salah and a salam on the Messenger That's the truth. Because as the Prophet was sad and upset for his ummah that they can't see him after his passing... So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent him a mechanism by which the people after the time of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa can receive 
something close, very close to what the Sahaba received of relief and pleasure in their hearts when they used to sit with the Prophet and transformation of their life. And that mechanism is to repeat and utter a salah and salam on the Messenger, the least of which being Allahumma salli wa sallam alayhi. Sayyid Muhammad Daniel is asking who is that Shaykh, but Shaykh Amin didn't want to say, I know who it is just because I know Shaykh Amin, but I have to stick to the amana that Shaykh Amin said that that Shaykh, he doesn't like people talking about him. And when you meet that Shaykh, he's completely unassuming. He's com- one of the most unassuming men you'll ever see as a Shaykh. You may even think like, you know, like if you're superficial, you may say, oh, he's not really a big Shaykh. I'm telling you. Like he'll come in, he'll come, he'll give the khutbah like everybody else. A decent khutbah. Right? Then he'll go out to eat with everybody, like at lunch, and sit with everyone else. He doesn't go to shiuch meetings. Like He doesn't hang out with shiuch. He doesn't go to big conferences. He's like on his own. Right? He does his own thing. He has a job outside of this. Right? He has his own thing. And, and yet, that's maybe one of the secrets of his ikhlas. That he, his, his, his public persona is like totally normal. It's like, okay, oh, sheikh. Right? That's the, the immediate, if you're, if, you're, if you're judging from that type of superficial uh, view, that's, what, that's how you'd make a judgment. But that's also how Allah hides his people. He hides them. Because if they were too much, too famous, they'd be in such demand, they may not have time to do what they're doing, right, and produce that honey. So this is uh, the, 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 when we talk about the love of the messenger, this is how it happens. It happens because lives have been transformed and your life, my life, all of ours can be transformed. You will not even recognize your state if you devote yourself to a salah and salam on the messenger. All I can tell you, you have to do this. You have to try it. I, uh, as Imam Ghazali says, the pen has to stop here. Meaning, can't explain anymore. You, it's only from here on, experience. So the first one, First hadith entry on the firash of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is from a Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha qalat innama kana firash rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallama alladhi yanamu alayhi min adamin hashwuhu leaf it was from Adam and that's it there's only one hadith right hashwuhu uh, leaf so it was how they translate Adam leather I'm assuming okay Sayyidah Isha says here it was from Adam yes from le- from leather filled with the fibers of palm trees so palm trees are of two types there's the date palm it's very fibrous very fibrous which means that it's like hairy almost that's what we mean by that if you look at the date palm it's fat and it's like hairy but if you and it releases dates if you look at the Caribbean palm tree, Californian palm trees, that's where you get the skinny little palm tree. And from, as a profile, it looks much prettier, but it doesn't produce what the date palm produces. So the date palm is very different from the California or the Caribbean palm tree. They're, they're different types of palm tree. Haddathana Abu al-Khattab Ziyad ibn Yahya al-Basri حدثنا عبد الله بن ميمون حدثنا جعفر بن محمد عن أبيه قال سئلت عائشة ما كان فراش رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم في بيتك So Sayyidah Aisha was asked What was the furnishing of the prophets of the prophet peace be upon him in your house? قالت من أدم حشوه من ليف 
It was leather filled with palm fibers. And, and by the way, this is really good, I guess, for the summer, for the heat, to sleep on that. But then again, wait a second, wouldn't the leather get really hot too? Right? It's interesting. But obviously the home was shaded anyway. Okay. Hafsa was... No, that's a mistake. Su'ilat hafsatu. This is a mistake in the print. Su'ila is the passive verb. Was asked. So the na'ib fa'il, the object of the passive verb is marfu' in the Arabic language. So su'ilat hafsatu. Right? Not su'ilat hafsata. Right? So that's, let's make that correction. Okay. Zemzem publisher. All right. Well, you get a pass on this one because the rest of the book is like perfect. Su'ilat hafsatu. Okay. You all understand this little Arabic lesson? There's something called a passive verb. The passive verb, for example, is when you don't mention the the doer of the verb. And the, the, the main character here is the object of the verb. So, for example, the, the, the apple was eaten. You didn't say who ate the apple. Was eaten. So that's how you make the object. You, you centralize the object. And anything central in the Arabic language is marfu'ah. So the object now enters into the central position, and which is called na'ib fa'il, in the place of the doer, central. So it's marfu'ah. Su'ilat hafsatu. مَا كَانَ فِي رَاشُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ فِي بَيْتِكِ قَالَتْ مِسْحًا نَثْنِيهِ ثِنْيَتَيْنِ فَيَنَامُ عَلَيْهِ فَلَمَّا كَانَ ذَاتَ لَيْلَةٍ قُلْتُ لَوْ ثَنَيْتُ ثَنَيْتَهُ أَرْبَعَ ثَنَيَاتٍ لَكَانَ أَوْطَأَ لَهُ لو ثنيته لو ثنيته شو بي عجيب فث ف فثنيان فثينا فثنيناه له بأربعة ثنيات. So again, it's leather filled with palm fibers, and leather does make sense because in the in the desert you're gonna sweat when you sleep, right? So you need a, a you need a habib uh, like you need a um, smooth bedding so that you could just wipe it. Right, and that's if you're wondering how the wives of the Prophet they actually used to scoop up his sweat, because if you sweat on natural leather, it's going to sit there, right? Tanned. The leather's tanned, so it's like hard. The leather's going to sit. The 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 sweat is going to sit there, right? And so, firstly, it's important to have leather because in general, people sweat. You need to wipe it down. You're going to sweat so much in the desert. You don't want cloth, cotton. That's just going to be, you have to wash it all the time. So that's, she probably took the cup, I'm imagining, took a little vial and pushed it down onto the leather bed and all the sweat, you know, fell into it. And, and, and this, that's what Umm Salma did. She used to ca- capture the sweat of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and use it as shifa. Okay. So she now says that we used to fold it in two. But one day I folded it in four. I figured this would be softer for the Prophet, peace be upon him. So that night, he, that morning, he woke up, woke up and said, "Ma al-layla." What did you put out for me to sleep on tonight? She said, "Huwa your regular bed, except we folded it four times instead of two." So we figured it would be softer for you. Qala Put it back how it was, al-ula, the first way that we used to do it. فَإِنَّهُ مَنَعَتْنِي 
that its softness made me fall asleep past the uh, tahajjud prayer. Couldn't pray tahajjud. Because the, if you want to know maybe why you don't pray tahajjud, why you, you fail at praying tahajjud, well, one of the reasons, maybe your bed is too soft. Right? I hate soft beds. Firstly, it's not good for your back. Right? Soft beds, uh, soft beds uh, is not good for your back. You, you, your back is going to go in, and then your back muscles are going to get tense trying to hold you up. So that's the first thing. Secondly, you, you, you go into a deep sleep. When you have a soft bed, you should have a hard bed. Okay. Again, differences of bodies. The Prophet wasallam said, what do I have in common with worldly comforts? Like, What do I have worldly comforts? My example is that of a traveler who after walking stops under the shadow of a tree for a while to rest. And after sitting a while, he goes on his way. That's the Hayat dunya for us. And this is so important because every once in a while you got to bring this in. It relieves you from the pressures of being like the Joneses, everyone else. This, this saying, keeping up with the Joneses. You got to keep up with everybody else. Okay? So it, it relieves you of that. Well, why do I need? I don't need to keep up with anybody. Whatever it is. Whatever happens, happens. I don't need to be better than anybody. I don't need to. The competition of Hayat dunya that the Western life is all about that. It's not just Western life. All ghafla. All heedlessness. Okay? As we read from chapter 45 of the Shema'il, it's about the simple betting of the Prophet. That was it. All heedlessness from of Hayat dunya right? It's it's going to uh, uh, stress you out. Why? Because you're limited, and dunya is limited, and time is limited, right? And money is limited. So it's all limited upon limited upon limited upon limited. Therefore, we're all going, and it's going to be only a few people who advance over everybody else. The higher you go up, the more limited life gets, so the more miserable you're going to be. I remember seeing recently uh, billionaires who are not rich enough to make it on the, uh, what is it, Forbes 500? Billionaires. So they're upset. How could you be upset as a billionaire? By living a life of comparison. If you're always living a life of comparison, that's why you're upset. So uh, the Prophet is say, he's relieving us here. This is, forget this. How many people... They're, all of their misery and depression and sadness is because of the limit, limited nature of this world. I can't have it. And if I do get it, it's too late. And then if I do get it, someone's got more. It's always misery, 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 misery. So our way is, as the Prophet has said in other hadith, because you have to read all the hadiths together to understand the picture of the Messenger hulwa. The Prophet said, yes, this dunya has some green, beautiful, fresh parts of it. So he's basically saying you can enjoy some of that to be thankful to Allah Ta'ala that he gave it to you. Yet at the same time, when the striving for it becomes stressful, then go to Zuhud. This Hayat dunya is a blink of an eye. You blink, you're done. And the more, the older you get, you realize this life really is a blink. Like as you get older, you're, you blink a decade past. Right? In the beginning, it feels... Like I remember going from second grade to third grade. Wow, the year is over. I can't believe it, right? Cannot believe the year is over. And then you have a birthday, like your sixth birthday. You can't believe it's sixth birthday. Then seventh birthday. Why? Because cut out two years of a kid's life. He doesn't understand what's going on. So from age two to age seven, that's five. Five years. 
So his seventh year, that's, that's 20% of his life, right? 20% of his existence. So, but when you're 50 years old, a year is 1 50th. It's 2% of your existence, right? So a year for a 50-year-old is nothing. It's only 2% of his existence. And it gets less and less and less as time goes on until you realize you, you realize you blink and it's over with. Whenever you see an old person, I'll tell you to do this interesting exercise. Next time you see an old person, you see an old woman, for example, or maybe like she's in the middle towards the end, maybe 40, 50, 60. Always try to think about that woman when she was eight years old, when she was three years old. She was probably the cutest creature for somebody at some point, right? You see an old woman, at one point she was 18 years old and she was maybe the envy of the group, right? But time passed them by and took them where they are now. But then again, that's what's going to happen to us too. So anytime you contemplate time, it really gets mystical real fast. And then you leave this world. Now here's the beauty of it. When you leave this world, there's no age. Once your soul leaves your body, you're entered agelessness. There's no age because the age is a a property of the body, not a property of the ruh. And that's an amazing thing. So when people die, as soon as people die, they're ageless. Someone who's 95 and dies is no longer 95. He's ageless because the ruh, it does not have an age, right? It doesn't have an age. SubhanAllah. You think, oh, the old man died. You think he's like limping as a spirit? No, his ruh, it's fresh. It's young. It has no age, okay? So just get, your, get the bodies of people out of your mind completely because it's just their body. So this hayat dunya it's one of the most relaxing things to talk about the shortnesses of it. And the more you read this, the more you repeat this, it settles in your heart. You actually literally just relax. You literally will find all your anxieties gone. And that's one of the beauties of visiting the graves and being part of this life, this, this work, and any masjid life is that you'll see a lot of funerals. Anytime that you can go to a funeral, go to a funeral. It, eventually, death is going to be part of your life and you're going to realize we're all going like I've seen so many people go. I have to tell you, subhanAllah, the last three funerals we had, all under the age of 40. The, the Khan Baba, the assistant for the restaurant, Khan Baba, may Allah have mercy upon him, I think he was maybe 42 maximum, right? Then there was, I think was his name, Zaid Akhtar, subhanAllah, friend of all of our Rutgers students here. He must have just graduated like three or four years ago, and he passes away. And then another man. Did you go to Barry Jones's uh, funeral? Hey, Habib, you went. Where? Barry Jones's funeral? No. Okay. So this 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 man, he's a convert. I think uh, he also was under forty years old. Like nobody really knew him in the community, but they contacted us to say he's a Muslim, so you're the nearest mosque. Less than forty years old. Unbelievable. Subhanallah. So. It's a beautiful thing to think about death. You won't have, um, your limbs will not want to commit sins when you're thinking about death. Sayyidina Aisha I said, once a woman from the Ansar came and saw that Aba'a, a cloak, was spread on the bed of the Messenger. She returned home and made a bed in which she filled wool, filled it with wool, and sent it to me for the Messenger, peace be upon him. When the Prophet saw the bed, now this is a very soft bed filled with wool, cloth filled with wool now, he inquired, what is this? 
I replied, a certain woman from the Ansar came, and after seeing the bed of the messenger, peace be upon him, she sent a new bed, cloth filled with wool. What does the messenger say? Return it. It looks too good to me. Okay? And I do not feel like sending it back. Uh, so Aisha said, it looked too good to me. I didn't, I, feel, I didn't feel like sending it back. Okay? But the messenger insisted that I send it back. And he said, I swear an oath, if I wish Allah Ta'ala will line up the mountains of gold and silver for me. If I wish, Allah will line up the mountains of gold and silver for me. Okay, then uh, I return the bed. So the first one of the shahids here is that if Sayyidah Aisha didn't want to, the Prophet wanted to do something, she didn't want to do it, she said it. Like, what does that tell you about the Prophet, peace be upon him? Right, Sayyidah Aisha, does, the Prophet says return it. She doesn't want to return it. So she says, I don't want to return it. SubhanAllah. Right? It did, that just goes to show you the freedom people had with the Prophet. It's like, uh, I mean, most households, Think about this. Most households, if a man says something, okay, and then he gets argued back, and there's a difference between Sayyidah Aisha and Sayyidah Khadija. Like Sayyidah Khadija and the Prophet were peers, married and peers. Sayyidah Aisha was way younger, right? But yet she still had, she felt the freedom to say, I don't want to, right? I didn't want to do it. Now, she didn't say it with an attitude. That would be impossible, right? Because that would be a major sin to talk with an attitude to the messenger peace be upon but she said I don't want to do it and when she said she wanted to do it uh, the prophet then swore an oath he said wallahi I'm not going to sleep on right if Allah had wanted wallahi if, if Allah wanted to if I wanted the mountains as gold and silver Allah would give it to me okay so the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that was his oath his oath was by Allah if I wanted the mountains and gold and silver Allah would line it up for me so basically he's saying, this is something that necessary, you must do it. So I return the bed. Abdullah bin Mas'ud says, I once came to the messenger, وسلم, he was resting on a mat made out of palm leaves. The marks could be seen on his body. And I began to cry. I said, oh, messenger of Allah. Uh, uh, and the messenger وسلم, said, yeah, uh, yeah, Abdullah, why do you cry? He said, oh, messenger of Allah, the Qaisar and Kisra, Right, the Caesars of Rome and uh, of the of Constantinople and Persia, they sleep on silk and velvet, and you sleep on this palm mat. The Prophet wasallam said, "This is not a thing to cry about. For them is the world, and for us is the hereafter." See, this is somebody who saw the hereafter. That's why he has that absolute certainty. Okay, we take from his certainty, because you get confidence from somebody that's confident. You get confident from somebody that's confident. And he had the confidence, subhanAllah. He had the confidence to say this. All right. When he spoke about akhirah, like it's right there. That's what gave the Sahaba the feeling. Like, it is right there. Because when you see someone with that confidence, you have that confidence too. A similar incident once took place with Sayyid Omar. Same thing. Right? So that's in Sahih Bukhari. SubhanAllah. That's why you have to hang out. You, you have to keep the company of the Salihin. They talk about the dunya in such a way that 
uh, it's not just theory anymore. You see it in their eyes that they don't care about something. And you see it in their eyes that they do care about something. Right? All right, let's move on to segment number two. Uh, number two. Ryan uh, will pull up for us. Uh, I'm doing like two things at one time, sorry. Uh, if you could pull up for us. All right, this is what we have here. Look at this, everybody. This is such an important course. And it's a lot of lectures. It's like 30 lectures or so. On the Wisdoms of Sira by Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti. Wisdoms of Sira by Saeed. You can get this by going to arcview.org. Arcview.org and signing up for Arcview+. Plus. You want to ArcView? Any questions about ArcView Plus today? What is it? It's my day actually on ArcView Plus. All right. This is today is Madiki Fiqh, followed by the Sharh of Sahih Muslim by Imam al Nawawi. Right. And uh, Sharh of Muslim by, Sahih, uh, by Imam Nawawi. And. Uh, that's going to be back-to-back. So sign up for ArcView Basic and then ArcView Plus. All right. ArcView Plus to watch this pre-recorded class of Sharh, uh, of the uh, uh, explanation of the wisdoms of Sirah by Sheikh Saeed Ramadan al-Bulti. Uh, Sheikh al-Bulti to me is almost like a, a version of Imam al-Nawi. He gives you a summary of Ahl-Sunnah in such simple language and he keeps your attention and he's one of the best scholars of Hashem. May Allah have mercy upon him. Of course, he passed. Uh, may Allah uh, uh, give him Janatul Firdaus and have mercy upon him in his grave. Of course, he passed away in a bombing. He also is somebody that um, his book is not Sira itself. It's an extrapolation of extrapolation of the uh, uh, wisdoms of the Sira, and then we go on the wisdom. So it's not just Sira. It's really the wisdoms of it. Yeah. All right. Let's now move on to this section here. All right. Any comments or questions so far? Yes. Hamza A. It's Fiqh Asira. The book is Fiqh Asira. And I, we read the entire book in a class that started before COVID into COVID and finished during COVID. And I'm telling you, it's a book that is one, it's the best book in terms of the, 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 the wisdoms of Sira. And we talk about it and we do this in like 36 videos, each 36 sessions. Each session must be about two and a half hours long. All right. Segment numero trace. Or I should speak Spanish properly. Numero tres. After the ball, the plan to alter Americans' sexual morality, or it should be Americans's. I need to. I need to tell Sheikh Omar this. Actually, tell Sheikh Omar Suleiman this. Hold on a second. It's either America's sexual morality. Or Americans is apostrophe S, right? 
So let me just tell him this real quick. Assalamu alaikum ya Sheikh Omar. This is after the ball, the plan to alter Americans' sexual morality. The apostrophe should be either America's sexual morality or Americans, then the apostrophe after this, sexual morality. You know, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm like number one with grammar errors, but I, I do see them when I read. Okay. So, unfortunately, Western Muslims who parrot LGB talking points do not realize that much of their moral sensibility has been shaped by people with a deliberate agenda to destroy religious mores. In 1989, neuropsychologist Marshall Kirk and social marketing and advertising executive Hunter Matson co-authored the book, After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. Both Harvard-trained authors identified as gay, and their book served as a manifesto for normalizing homosexuality in Western societies. Since its release, the book's plan has been implemented lock, stock, and barrel by members of the LGBT movement. My point in talking about this is to, to notice and to realize that you have... Look, find, see marketing when you see it. Recognize marketing when you see it. The authors boldly state early in the book, the campaign we outline in this book, through, though complex, depends centrally upon a program of unabashed propaganda, firmly grounded in long-established principles of psychology and advertising. Of course, advertising is all about psychology and the rules of persuasion, etc., and sometimes it dips into hypnotism, and hypnotism is not as people think that you know, you put a clock and people get hypnotized. That's not what hypnotism is. Hypnotism is when you repeat, when you connect a, like a, a word or a phrase to an emotion so many times, okay, that people immediately are fixated, almost like the, the um, Pavlovian dog, almost, right? That you've repeated a, a phrase and an emotion so many times that as soon as now the phrase or the image is brought forth, the emotion is brought forth, Right? Uh, or you, you, it's, it's all about repetition. Okay, so Kirk and Madsen employed the principles of desensitization in their campaigning. All right? Aren't we, we're all desensitized to this right now. Okay. They sought to build on people's primal instincts, whereby a flood of gay-related advertising presented in the, latest, in the least offensive fashion possible. That's what it is. It's a flood and it's, it's very gentle, subtle, and always connected with happiness. This would get the job done, he says. If straights can't shut off the shower, the author says, they will at least eventually get used to being wet. And is that not where we're at right now? Because you can't get upset every time you see something if you see it 50 times a day, right? On their notion of conversion, the author's right, we mean conversion of the average American's emotions, mind, and will. So they don't necessarily care if you do it or not, if you're be gay, but they want that your emotions, your will, your mind be in support of this program. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is just, it's textbook. It's, it's like a, advertising is not that hard. Is there certain t- techniques and certain things that are used? Hey, Ry, could you link the article? And you could just get it from uh, Yaqeen's you could just Google Yaqeen LGBT narrative. 
As Muslims, it is paramount that we recognize and stand firm against this calculated effort to desensitize us to the limits set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now they bring in another um, set of phrases. All right? These sets of phrases here, are, these words are catchwords, buzzwords. Okay? It goes without saying that in stark contrast to Islam in the West, the divine command bears practically no relevance whatsoever to contemporary moral discourse. We know that. In other words, in public, nobody cares about your religious beliefs. Subordinating divine omniscience to the temporal and temperamental whims of modern society is bound to bring ruin, and it affects uh, are only beginning to be seen. What Allah tells you, it could be that you dislike something, and it's good for you, and you like something, and it's bad for you. And Allah knows, and you do not know. When religion becomes irrelevant to sexual behavior and life at large, people feel compelled to form their own thoroughly personal and subjective moral frameworks. But in reality, people are not forming their own. I haven't seen someone, let's say, leave off an Islamic framework, for example, and then bring up a, a completely new and unique framework. Like, I've never seen that happen. Right? What actually happens is that people just follow in along with the trend. Okay? And that's what uh, yesterday that um, Imam Safwan talked about. When he said, the verse of the Quran, it says, uh, a person collapses through the heavens. This is when someone leaves the way of Islam. Collapses through the heavens. Then either a bird snatches him, or he tumbles into some in, uh, a dark corner. Okay? Okay? So it's something that when people leave a fr- the framework of Islam, they're not leaving it to form a new framework. They're falling lock, stock, and barrel in the contemporary framework, right? In the monoculture that, we're, that, that we live in today. So these are formed by what they list as four very popular concepts and words that are parroted over and over and over and over. The first one being freedom. So in pop culture, it's the radical elimination of all external barriers to achieve maximum happiness. And this to us is really, a, uh, it's feeding a nafs al-ammara. Okay? It's feeding a nafs al-ammara, the ego that commands to, to evil. Now why does Allah stop us? Because the, con- the concept of happiness in Islam is very different than happiness in the secular world. In the secular world, it's the happiness of your carnal soul. In general, you're free to do whatever you want, free to, to enjoy, uh, free to have as much pleasure as you want, and no one can stop your pleasure. All modern spiritualities, all of them, have one thing in common. They never say no to your ego. They never say no to your ego. They never say to you, don't have zina, don't commit zina, don't have sex before marriage, outside of marriage, however, this way, that way, the other. Don't uh, look at what is haram. They never limit, okay, your carnal desires, right? And if it is, it's only by your own desire to do so, not out of obedience to somebody else, right? Not out of obedience to a creator or, or anything else. Because there's a big difference. When you're the author of your own morality, it's very different than when you're submitted. And the whole point of Islam is to get the ego to submit to something greater than it. When you create, you can create your own morality. And it could be more strict than Islam or and Judaism or Christianity. 
And But why is it still going to lead you to arrogance? Because you're the creator of that morality. You made that morality. And that's one of the whole point of, this is a, this is a, a high-level abstract uh, you know, level of paganism, is that you just worshipping yourself. Instead of worshipping an idol, even the idol is just almost like a meteor, because you make the idol too. Idolatry and paganism itself, it's a roundabout way of worshipping yourself. Because who, you made the idol. Okay? The priest makes these prayers and makes stuff up. So when you're the creator of your own morality, you're truly worshipping yourself, even if you're putting your ego down. And that's a big difference between Tawheed and, and this morality. So he says that in Islam, freedom is based on servitude to God. This is what we're saying here. Our happiness is not gained by serving our nefs. Our happiness is gained by serving our creator. Right? That's the difference. And by, by falling into the orbit of the khaliq and the creator, all right, then at that point, when, when we fall into that orbit, that's when we are most happy. Right? And that orbit is going to be to apply the sharia in our, in our daily lives. We will find ourselves and our hearts in that orbit. Individual autonomy. The latter is a word formed from the suffixes auto, meaning self, and nomos, meaning law. Autonomy. So the West notion of autonomy literally means giving oneself the law. Okay? That's what we're saying. You create your own morality. Whereby each person determines what is right and wrong without recourse to anything external to himself. And this is the idea here. And that's what we said. Even within Islam, you have to be careful of this. Be very careful of this, even inside of Islam, because the methodology of following Islam by coming to conclusions yourself and then working backwards to find the evidence for it. Whereas the more, the way that is more aligned with the Sunnah is that you choose a methodology or an imam. Madhab meaning, which is a methodology and an imam. Okay? You study them. You might be a common Muslim, but you can study the imams and his basic methodology. It's not going to take you, and if you spent a week reading up on, e, on each imam, that's a month. We're talking about your religion here, so I think a month worth of reading, you know, after work is useful. Uh, it's not asking a lot. So you do that, and then you decide upon that methodology. Now that methodology, that imam, you are not just following that imam, because his methodology has been used through the centuries to answer questions that did not come up in his time. Okay? And the scholars of that madhab, they take his words, and they fashion from his words his philosophy of law. Okay? They, they fashion his philosophy. So when, you're, when someone says, oh, I'm going to follow Imam Malik who lived all the, Imam Abu Hanifa who lived 1,400, 1200 years. No, you're following, he set the fundamental methodology. Every generation, new matters came up. The scholars of that time utilized his methodology to answer those questions. So that's why it's, the Hanif, it's still the Hanafi Madhab 700 years later, filled with issues that Abu Hanifa never talked about because they used his method and the same thing for all the other four madhabs. Until today, a living chain that never dies, where scholars of each madhab today, they take the philosophy, the methodology derived by that, med, uh, by that imam, or in, in, initiated by that imam, even if others filled in details, okay, uh, and, and polished it off, 
and they answer questions that came that come up today, which we call no as it. Issues that happen today that didn't happen in the past, and we need an answer to it. Uh, let me give you a simple example. I'll give you a very simple example of how a completely modern issue, and I'm not going to, this is, this is a real question, but I'm not going to say it in a way that's going to put anyone on the spot. A husband and wife, they couldn't have kids. So they went through the uh, IVF method, which means that her reproductive, uh, like egg and his sperm, were taken outside from, and, and, and I guess in a lab, they try to fertilize. Okay? So his fluid and her egg are outside of their bodies. Now, did that something that existed in the old days? No. Right? So now here's the question. That's all fine, it's halal. As long as, I mean, there are parameters for that too, to make sure that these things don't get mixed up. They get divorced. And they have a fertilized egg. They do have a fertilized egg still in the freezer. And they get divorced. Is she allowed now to implant that inside of her stomach after the divorce? That's the question. It's not zina, Right? It's her egg. With or without his consent, the answer is no, it's haram. Whether he consents or not, why? Because they're divorced. Now, we go back in time for the methodology of answering this question. That Imam Madik was asked the question, and you may find this a little bit crazy, but it's okay because there are a lot of things you don't know. He was asked that a girl married a jinn and got pregnant. He was asked, is this marriage halal or haram? Malik said it is haram not because it doesn't exist or by the sharia it's haram. That a Muslim jinn and a Muslim woman got married by the sharia with witnesses. Don't ask how, I don't know, in the jinn world or something, I don't know. He's saying, Malik's saying, he's seen this. He's not saying it's, it's zina because they're following the rules of marriage. But I am making it forbidden, Maddox says, on the basis of closing a door that would lead to many problems, which is that I would not like to see a woman walking around pregnant, having never been married amongst us human beings, and saying, my husband is unseen. Well, what kind of society are we going to have after that? Right? Every other person comes pregnant, I said, my husband's a jinn. Well, you can't see him. Where was the wedding ceremony? In the jinn world. And nobody saw it. We can't have this, right? So in the same way, we're using that methodology of closing the door of anyone ever being uh, uh, pregnant without a marriage. And the, the, the scholars, the Maliki scholars of today use that as the basis to say, no, it's haram. First of all, he would have to consent to it, and that's not it. You'd have to be married to him. So that you cannot walk around pregnant, right, saying, like, without a marriage, okay, without a husband. So, and without, like, a record of being married. So, that's the idea there. So, that's an example. And that's the methodology of how Muslims today may, if they get whimsical, come look for the ruling in Sharia that they want, then work backwards. No, we say we look for the methodology. And every one of you, 
You say, oh, I'm not a scholar. Okay, you're not a scholar. Good for you. I'm not a scholar either. No, we're just trying to be fuqaha, meaning learning the rulings and the basis by, of the rulings. But you say, I'm not trained. I don't know. You are trained enough. If you're trained enough to buy a car, to buy a house, to marry a woman, you can be trained enough to read the biographies of imams, enough to understand their methodology and pick one. So this, I, excuse I'm just a common Muslim. The ijtihad of the common Muslim is to choose which imam is most worthy of being followed. And then you follow it down the line. What comes from that imam, I accept. That's my religion. That's my book of law. Until it hits a wall where it's impossible, or the situations of the world change, then the muftis, the, the current living muftis of that madhab, they're publishing their answers to this all the time. Their, their, their stuff is published on this, on the nawazid whether it's in a video or it's in an article. Okay? It's out there. No as it. New matters that make it, that we need fatwa for. So this is what's important and this is how to operate. So this autonomy being, I make my own law. Again, ibadatul nafs and ibadatul hawa. Third, authenticity. The modern West defines this as a complete unfettered expression of the inner self, thoughts, feelings, desires. That means everything inside you, you're not authentic unless it's outside of you, right? You're expressing it, okay? So we say, no, we are our true authentic selves as human beings only when we have found and submitted to our creator, right? In consonance with our fitri, that is, fitra, that is natural inborn inclination, okay? Let me take a picture of that too because that should be fitra. that all right natural inborn inclinations we say something different you may have desires all right we have desires these desires are not always to be acted upon and if you do act upon something you shouldn't corrupt the society by it Okay, if you do act upon it, you shouldn't corrupt the society with it by sharing it with everybody, by 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 doing it, all right, in front of everybody, and getting other people to do it. Now let's take an analogy. Parts of our bodies should be covered. Physical things that we do with our body, vomiting, blowing your nose, to a degree, uh, the stuff that's the mucus that's in your nose, passing gas, urine, defecation. Do we not all agree that a civilized society is where people are trained to keep that as private as possible? Right? Do you imagine someone on a bus pulling earwax out and looking at it and sniffing it? And what kind of disgusting society are we living in? Do you imagine someone just urinating in the street and this becoming a socially acceptable thing? So, in the same way that this wonderful human body, it has things that are quite disgusting about it, right? Likewise, the human nafs has desires that are quite disgusting and sinful. And Allah even tells us some of your desires are natural. But you have to limit them and curb them. So in our society, we say the righteous person is the one who has enough shame that he keeps his, his sins, his lack of discipline private. It's not sincerity and ikhlas. All right? It's not sincerity and ikhlas 
to say that whatever I do in private, I want to admit it in public. We don't have a sense of confession, neither to a priest nor to the people. Right? You keep that to yourself, because when you do that, it's iman. When you're, you're embarrassed by it, it reflects that you believe in it, that you believe that's haram, and, you believe, and that you respect the believers that you don't want to corrupt them. So that's why for us, even when we do commit sins, we say, keep it hidden. When you keep it hidden, you're, you're containing it, you're likely to conquer it. Once you put it out there, it becomes part of your identity, and then you want to promote it, right? So a person should always keep their sins private, and certain things have to be, you have to control it. Fire, gas, electricity. Go around homes, buildings. These things are super contained. We use them where they're supposed to be used. The gas should only come out of the stove when the fire's on. Otherwise, that gas comes out of the stove and there's no flame, we all die. We faint first, then we die. That's why they gave gas that scent. It's not a natural scent. They gave gas. When you ever, if water ever spills on your stove, I'm sure this happens to everybody, the flame goes out. Then someone comes to turn on the gas, the gas comes out with no flame and you just smell the gas. That smell of gas is made so that every, it's, it's added, that smell. So we all know, oh, I smell gas. Turn it off. Call the utility company. Tell them I smell gas and see what an emergency it is. Certain things have to be contained. I almost got basically like jumped at Walmart when I went for the, the propane tank. I just went to swap out the propane tank. So I asked, hey, how do I swap out the propane tank? They said, go to customer service. Tell them you'll swap out the propane tank. So I get there, I get to customer service, and I'm walking, I was like, well, I need to buy something first, right? So I figured, and I always regret this, you always say, I'm never going to shop at Walmart again, this place is absolutely miserable, none of the aisles make sense, and it just attracts odd people, and it's a miserable experience every time you buy something from Walmart, it's going to break by the time you get home, it's all cheap stuff. So I'm walking with the propane tank, going to get what I need, when I was seen walking like in the aisles with the propane tank... I got jumped almost. They swarmed me, right? And they said, you got to get out now. I said, okay, let me, let me pay for my toothbrush, right? At least, right? It's the 35 cent toothbrush, right? Let me just pay for it. And then, then no, drop everything and leave because it's got to be controlled, right? And that's something that's good. You put it in your grill, you use it, you fire up your grill and you use it. So it's something good, but we agree it has to be contained. The physical is a metaphor for a lot of the abstract, Right? And a lot of what is inside of us, there's a lot of good things, right? But it should be kept hidden. And that's a big difference between the Western concepts of authenticity. I'm just being authentic. No, you're not. You're spilling your sins out. You're being vulgar. You're being whatever. You're calling it authentic. We have a completely different concept for this. We ought to understand these things. Consent is the next one, all right? And in the modern world, it's this article, the article says, by the way, the article does not have an author, it's the whole institute. Like, Yaqeen, it just says Yaqeen Institute. The modern world has come to fetishize choice, which goes back to autonomy and authenticity, and consent, which are derivatives of the notions listed above. Any action a person takes is legitimized. It's legitimate because he felt, and it was, he felt that way and it was his choice. Okay. And if you do it to somebody else, if two people do something, it's legitimate because they gave consent. Our study has said that's not, that consent is in like buying and selling something halal. Consent is in certain things only, right? It's not, uh, it doesn't make something sacred. 
It doesn't make something halal just because two people consented to it. Okay? As long as there's no harm to others, then you're good to go. And this is especially the case for sexual activity. Now, in contemporary culture, notions of moral character and particularly any consideration of virtue are antiquated. Why? Because virtue and character, moral character, require a standard that we live up to. So they don't talk about this anymore. They just talk about authenticity, being yourself, your choice. And then if you do something with someone else, you have to have consent. Okay. As long as people have, two people have consent, there's, that, that's the only morality that they need to observe. Right. So consent has been elevated to a sacred status. Now we ask the question, given the postmodern, he says here, given the postmodern premise that all notions are socially constructed, then wouldn't consent also be nothing other than a social construct? To emphasize consent as the fulcrum of moral validity is utterly incoherent. You should have no sacred, including consent. Nothing should be sacred, including feelings and consent, right? So they've replaced their sacred, right? They've tossed out the sacred, and of course, in the, uh, we're talking from a Christian context. They've tossed that out and brought in choice and consent. Okay. Um, so reason re- revelation went out a long time ago reason w- came in and replaced revelation but reason itself has been given the boot and is now solely on feelings choice consent these other concepts all right so this is the these are these this is all i wanted to talk about now uh there the article is long well we can talk about other portions of it later but it was, I felt it was important to talk about the planned methodology by which this stuff was ushered into society, right? By advertising, marketing, entertainment executives, right? And those supporting them. And then how these four terms are just used and repeated over and over and over. And if anybody absorbs these terms without realizing like what they're actually absorbing and they start you know, utilizing that, speaking of that, at that point, um, uh, they got to realize what they're saying because so much of it is in contradiction to our understanding of uh, uh, of everything that they're talking about here. All right, we didn't do much of a Q&A yesterday. So today, let's do our Q&A. All right, let's do this for, let's say, in a couple minutes because yesterday you, you all got gypped. There was no Q&A. So let's open up the Instagram, open up YouTube. And see what we got here. All right, let's see what we got here. Ibrahim Khan. Is it appropriate after making du'a when waiting for the response 
that you start thinking about scenarios where it doesn't work out? No, never. Because the Prophet said, he said that, ud'u Allaha wa antum muqinuna bil ijaba. Al yaqeen, you go straight, you never look back. This is happening. That's yaqeen. Never look back. Okay? Never look back. Soulfully says that they want like guests again. Inshallah, we'll bring guests as many as possible. Not only bring guests, we need to change the setup here so that we can have two cameras, right? And 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 I need the guests right in front of me. And probably like a camera, I guess it might look a little bit weird, but a camera on the angle here, out there, and we need to have a setup for him and maybe a backdrop, right? So that they could be on camera. What were the flags, I think she said, right? Someone asked about the flags. Yafa says, we had flags with the name of the Prophet on them that the kids were holding up. Muhammad Munam. Some scholars say it's haram to vote for kuffar political office. They all support Zionists and versus the lesser of two evils. Yes, both exist, that both opinions exist. That you, but I would, I would think probably that if, if, if there was a discernible lesser evil, then it may, I, would, I can't ever say that's incumbent upon us but it would probably be permitted to take that option would not say it's incumbent but if we could determine that i think personally that i don't know who i I can't see a lesser of two evil i see two evils that's all i see that's why I, i never voted i rarely vote some scholars permit men to um now that's not necessarily i'm not telling people not to vote and some people are very much but i don't always see at the presidential level I don't always see who's the lesser of two evils, right? So how, how could you not say that, you know, the Republicans are not more evil? Because they don't promote this nonsense that, that the de- Democrats are all about now. Completely altering what it means to be a human being. Okay, one guy, is, he's against you and your people. At least he recognizes what a person is. These people are bringing confusion to every generation, and they're gone nuts Teaching it to kids. They've gone, that's what Allah says about the musrifun. Calls qawmilut musrifun. Musrif means he doesn't know limits. He doesn't know where to stop. That's what a musrif means. They literally does not know where to stop. Okay. Some scholars permit men to marry ahlil kitab. In the Maliki Madhab, it is makruh. Outside of, uh, 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 and, and more makruh outside of Dar al-Islam, to marry from Ahl al-Kitab. That's uh, according to, to what I was taught from Sheikh Mahmoud Shabib. But if a, person is a Jew, if a woman is a Jewish or Christian and a man marries her, it is a valid marriage. It is not zina. It's a valid, very, valid marriage. But it's very makruh outside of Dar al-Islam because of the fear of the influences and, and where the kids would go if there's a dispute, etc., is covering the eyes completely with niqab a bid'ah? Uh, the, fet, the, the ruling of the Ma'rikiyah on that is that if niqab is a bid'ah, if viewed as the obligation of hijab, but niqab can be recommended, maybe even obligatory, if there's harm for a woman, right? Then that covering her face would block that harm. So, But that coverage of the face is not 
the definition of the hijab. So there's a big difference in the Maliki uh, position on it. Hijab is to cover everything except the face, the hands, and the bottom of the feet. That's hijab in the Maliki school. Anything beyond that is ghulu. But to cover the face can become obligatory depending if there's harms, if there are harms. I remember Sheikh Harun, I remember Sheikh Harun also mentioning. Yeah. Um, because everyone's going to say, oh, because we live around Kufar, every woman has to wear a niqab. niqab. Yeah. But then he also mentioned, on the other hand, what his teachers had said that is if wearing a niqab puts someone in like social danger or mm-hmm. things like this, where people are, again, discriminated against them or whatever it is, yeah. you know, do hate crimes against them, then, then obviously you're not going to wear niqab. Yeah. So the issue of niqab is all is, is ma'lul. Niqab being just the face covering. It has nothing to do with hijab. The hijab is not that. So that's what Imam Malik says. It's ghulu to think anything, to cover anything more. Because the Prophet clearly said, and, and by the way, these, this thing is from Tawatur. Did not Imam Malik have a mom, right? <laughs> did not uh, Malik have ants and people, did he not walk in the streets and see what the women of Medina were wearing, right? So he knew what, 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 what was obligatory in hijab and it's in the hadith of Fadl ibn Abbas where the woman asked him, he said, everything except this and this. The Prophet ﷺ pointed that, and that's at the Fatih of Mecca, Hadith of Fadl ibn Abbas, if you want a textual evidence. But it's also something that they lived with. So it's not going to change over two, three generations. And that's the value of the first three generations of Islam, in Medina in particular, where the concept is that things, certain things could not possibly fathomably change in three generations. Right? from the time of the Prophet ﷺ to the third generation. And that's what Madik documented. This is what we do here. This is what the scholars do here. When he says this is what we do here, he doesn't mean the, the plumber and the, and, the, and the house builder. He means the scholars. So, if it's wrong to ask a potential spouse, says Sarah Kay. All right, Sarah Kay, your question's up. If you can't ask about their past sins, how do we determine their character or if they've truly changed? By asking about them, ask their friends, ask their neighbors, ask their people of the masjid, ask their uh, associates that they work with, that they go to school with, that they go to the MSA with. You talked about them, you ask about them, and I hardly dis- you know do not recommend people marry strangers. Let's say it's a guy. Well, hopefully, you have a brother or you have a family friend who's friends with that guy. He can spill all the beans, tell you all about this guy. Do it, don't do it. He did this, he does that. So, but nowadays, people don't even have that. And they have to marry strangers. Speaking of marrying strangers, if you want to marry and meet some new people, we've, we're promoting NBIC's married matrimonial system, which I like the most because it's not a scroll system. You're not going to see pages of women and scroll through them. You're going to put in as much detail as possible in an application, which can be found at mbic.org forward slash mawadda. You're going to fill as much information as possible. They're going to read it. And then they're going to go look at the women or the opposite gender who filled out the same, the form, and see if there's a match. If there's a match, they ask you permission and they ask her permission. If you both permit, they'll email you both and say, you guys take it from here. That's how simple it is, right? 
That's how simple it is. And that's why I like it. There's no, in a sense of, uh, like, um, scrolling through pictures that actually increases people's desires. It makes things worse. Because all they're going to do is just start, if they went in with a clean intention, it's, it's going to turn not clean really quickly. What's happening over here? Uh-huh. Is the son of a human jinn marriage a human being or a mixture between them? I don't think that the, the son of a, a human and jinn, I have no knowledge about it, but I think they can't reproduce in the way that mules can't reproduce. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be a species amongst us, right? And everyone would be like two-fourths jinn or something like that. I don't think that they could reproduce, and Allah knows best. Just like mules. Mule is a product of a horse and a donkey. Right. Bushra Abdul Karim. If husband loves to spend time in khalwa more than his wife, that means he loves to be all alone more than he loves to spend time with his wife. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Habib, is that going to be you when you grow up? He is loved by the community because of his dawah, and he is constantly praised by the people. But the wife is hurt by his actions. Then this person, if this is the case, if this is the case, then this person has, he's, he, he failed in the most important thing. And did not the Prophet wasallam say the, the intercession for those whose immediate family praises him? right? Or, or sorry, not intercession, yeah, righteous is the one who dies and his immediate family praises him? This is like a shafa'ah for him. Your immediate family is your first dawah assignment. Is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاسْطَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا What is the hukm of sharia, of establishing the sharia in your own home and establishing Islam in your own home? That's a fart. To go and preach to the people is not a fart. It's fard kifaya. It's a communal obligation. To give dawah to your family is fard And But... If you understand dawah as, okay, I established the prayer, everyone's fasting and praying here, zakat is being given, no, no one's watching anything bad in the house, no one's playing music in the house, everyone's wearing hijab. If you think that that's what it is, you made a mistake, because that's the dawah of the body, maybe. But isn't dawah to make people love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Isn't that the real essence of dawah? To make people love Allah himself, to make people love the Prophet, to have in their hearts desire. What makes people scholars and seek knowledge? They love it. That's it. They enjoy this. They love the messenger, peace be upon him. They love the sharia. So dawah to us is not just to make people's body do the right thing. That's easy. You can go in and, and yell and make people... No, dawah is make people love them so that behind your back they're still doing it without you telling them they're still doing it. So you have to create a love inside of them. And as we said about the messenger, peace be upon him, the Sahaba were beloved to the Prophet, peace be upon him, because he changed their personal lives. That's why they loved him. So you have to be someone who changes their personal lives, someone that they love to be around. And I remember uh, seeing, uh, I'm not going to say his name, Sudanese sheikh in England. His family, like obsessed with their dad. It was amazing. I've never seen anything like this. Like the wife, the kids, they were obsessed with their dad. Most people are like, oh, dad's not here. That party, right? Not this family. Oh, dad, I got upset. Oh, going out to a talk again. They get upset, right? They love to be around their dad. 
I've never seen anything like this because the dad, his, he like was like emanating love all the time because he himself was in love. He himself loved Allah and his messenger and he was like, that it spilled onto them. Uh, Jennifer says, this is really hard as a parent. I had no idea how hard it would be. I thought I'd teach them right and that it would be, uh, and that would be it. It's more important, it is important to teach them right from wrong, right? And that's really why single parenting is, I don't know, I'm not saying she's a single parent, but I'm saying it's really hard to be a single parent because it's really hard to, to lay down the law and be loved. But it is doable. It's doable. If you're not tasting the sweetness in your own heart, you can't spill it out upon them. Upon them. And if you are, you're going to spill it out on them whether you try or not. That's the truth of the matter, right? That's the truth of the matter. If I go and we hang out with, with a bodybuilder, if a bodybuilder was hanging out with us every single day of our lives, at some point or other, right, we'd probably catch on and pick up, you know, some of his habits, right? It's going to spill onto us. The love of fitness, which wouldn't the love of fitness spill onto us? At least someone's got to spill onto us. So if the sweetness is in your heart, and the sweetness can only enter in your heart by correct your aqidah, number one. Study aqidah, okay? Number, correct your aqidah. Number two, avoid sins. You gotta, you cannot taste anything good if you keep putting soy sauce on it. If I have honey and I got dessert, but someone is, keeps putting soy sauce on my dessert, I'm not going to taste it. It's going to be sweet and mixed. It's going to be terrible, right? And that's why many people, they don't enjoy their deen and they don't, they don't taste it in their heart. They don't even know what we're talking about, right? Because all they've gotten used to is filth inside the heart. But if you purify your heart from sins and you do a lot of remembrance of Allah, now pour on the remembrance, pour on that honey. Put it all on, syrup. All, every dhikr is like a different flavor of syrup. You go to these pancake shops now, they give you like three or four. There's maple syrup, classic syrup, whatever syrup, pecan syrup. Every dhikr is like a different syrup. Imagine that syrup being poured onto your heart. Now, if you're, when you're in that hal and that mode and that mood, it won't be possible for you to contain it. You will express so much, such a natural love towards them and a forgiveness towards these people in your home and a generosity towards them okay, that it's going to enter them too. That is real dawah. Okay, so even if you got to lay down the law sometimes, you will lay down the law in a way that is soft too. There is a soft way of laying down the law. So, really, if you work, we have to work on ourselves. If we work on ourselves, we could be the best. We, our, our presence in our homes will be the dawah. Just our presence. And we won't have to say much. Which one of salawat, hub salawat, is best for reading at midnight? Salat tunjina. And salat tafrijiyah. Salat nariya is... Salat Tunjina, right? Right? Salat Nariya and Salat Tunjina is the same thing. Then, uh, Nariya and Kamid is the same thing. And then Tafrijiya is another one that's uh, really amazing. Can you explain the concept of Baraka? Sure. 
What is the concept of barakah? Concept of barakah is the concept that and the idea that uh, Allah Taala increases blessings. We're having. Are we having a light flicker here? Is there a light flickering here? Do you see it? Do you see it in the stream? Okay. Because I don't know if it's my my eyes or it's it's that it's that light flickering, right? It's the camera. What is? Why is it flickering for? Okay. So. Uh, barakah means increase It means And barakah It means that a small amount Will last you far more Than we would have materially imagined That's what barakah means A small amount of action takes you far The opposite of it is lana Where a lot does not satisfy Right You have a lot of money But you're still unhappy Barakah is, you have a little bit of money, but everyone's happy, right? That's the concept of barakah. And barakah comes down through being good to the vulnerable. That's the first way to get barakah, be good to the vulnerable. Number two, do a lot of dhikr and dua. A lot of dhikr and dua. All right. SR says, how should people who are pessimistic Deal with the expectational requirement when making du'a. Yeah. Yeah, that's pessimistic in the first place. Your framing of yourself as pessimistic is the most pessimistic thing you could do. You have to change, how do you change yourself? Uh, Well, flip your pessimism and tell yourself that I'm going to be punished if I stop, if I'm, if I don't be positive, right? I'm going to be punished if I don't stay. Obey your Lord. Obey Allah and, and obey the Prophet, peace be upon him, who said, have iqan, be muqin, be certain with the ijab. Sharif Antoya says, when can we expect to have Sheikh Yusuf's content? It's coming soon. And it's, we're bringing Hanbali Fiqh onto Arcview Basic. You would, it's a pre-recorded class that you would sign up for it by going to arcview.org and then it's Hambari Aqida. And then after watching it, a month after we release it, we're going to have a live stream with him and he's going to take Q&A. Rauda says, if someone has no desire to get married because of a traumatic experience with men in her past, she does not want to displease Allah, but she knows she cannot fulfill the rights. Will she be sinful? No, she won't be. The sinfulness is to believe that monasticism is a better way of religion than marriage. As for just not marrying for any other reason, that's permitted. And believing that I can't fulfill the rights, that's permitted. There are many, many people in our salaf who didn't get married. But they didn't avoid marriage believing it's better. That's the difference. I get low blood sugar, says a plague pig pigeon, from fasting. But I want to fast. To do the fast of Dawood to control desires. What do you recommend? Yeah, you do what you can. Do what you can. I think fast of Dawood is a bit tough. Just do Mondays and Thursdays. If you're a single guy and you want to do that, just do Mondays and Thursdays. Sophia says, How do we understand Allah saying, Inna Rabbi ala suratim mustaqim? It means, Inna amra Rabbi ala suratim mustaqim. Inna the command of, Inna Rabbi ala my Lord is on the straight path. What does it mean? It means 
The command of my Lord is on the straight path. The guidance of my Lord is on the straight path. Okay? There's a muqaddar there. Muqaddar means an assumed there. Right? Uh, because Allah is to, uh, it's impossible for Allah to be on a path. A path means that there's right behavior and wrong behavior. Right? You can fall off the path or stay on the path. You can go backwards or forwards. So Allah Ta'ala is not on a, a sharia of any sort. So it means, إِنَّ أَمْرَ رَبِّ عَلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ وَيَهْدِي إِلَى صِرَاطٍ مُسْتَقِيمٍ His command guides to a straight path. Snake Juice says, On the concept of Ibn al-Waqt, living in the moment, what can you impart on living in the now? Living in the now is a branch of gratitude. And it's a branch of attentiveness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the, con- in the idea that it is the concept of every moment we have to have shuhud al-minna. Shuhud al-minna, or also known as wahdat al-shuhud, which is to only see things as a ni'mah from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at every moment. At every moment. Never stopping. Right? Which is why the worship of other things... And you always see this with athletes. What do they worship? Their sport, right? Well, that sport, you can only enjoy it when it's game time. You can only enjoy it before you reach a certain age and you have to retire. And they really, their heads get really warped when they have to retire. Their biggest love is being ripped out of their hands and given to somebody else. And they can't ever do it again. So Allah has freed us from those loves and those attachments to the concept an idea that you are with Allah at every moment. At every moment, this is a gift. And how you choose to perceive it is what you're going to get out of it. If Allah says, Inna Allah, la yamillu, la yamillu hatta tamillu. Allah does not get bored until you get bored. What is the meaning of getting bored? It means not giving. And what is the meaning of we get bored? Not expecting. Right? So if you come in and you're like, oh, everything's boring. Okay, Allah was not going to give you then. Right? That's the meaning of that hadith. He's not going to give you anything. He's not going to show you anything. But if you come in and say, at this moment, at every single moment, is a moment of wonder and awe and amazement. Right? As long as you're in that state, then Allah's going to give you. Then He's going to open doors for you. Then amazing things will happen. Right? So you have to be in the state of belief first. That's whom Allah gives His gifts to. And that's the concept of Ibn al-Waqt. That at every moment, they're in that state. So at every moment, something new is being like shown to them and veiled to them a gift is being given to them Ibn Atat says these, the awliya they wake up asking themselves what will Allah do with me today that means I'm like I'm in the arena of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala something new is going to happen every single day something different is going to happen Allah, whatever happens Allah is bringing it so there's got to be a wisdom behind it that's the concept Adam says how does one who cannot fast Lessen their food intake. Okay. Stop lust. So that means the person cannot fast because of a medical reason. How do they stop their lust? Well, you stop your lust by decreasing certain foods that arouse yourself. So I think that a lot of sugar, for example, may arouse somebody, may get you excited. Certain creamy foods the creaminess of foods, cream and sugar combined will, will sort of arouse somebody. That's one thing. Another thing is, ask yourself, 
when do people commit these lustful sins? I don't think people commit these lustful sins at three in the afternoon, for example, right? Probably more at midnight. People commit these sins when nobody's looking, when they're home alone, when there's no work, etc. So how do you stop this? Sleep early. Put your, knock yourself out, right? You go to sleep. Try to do those things. Try to cut the time in which you do this. You may not be able to lessen your intake, but you can lessen the type of food that is excitable to a person. SP says, I was trying to purchase Arabic, the Arabic grammar book from Arcview, and the shipping price is the same price as the book. Oh, that's tough. That's the UK. Any discount codes coming out soon? Yeah, we can create a discount code for the UK because the purpose is for you to get the book, right? And as long as it's in a way that it's not going to cause a loss for us, we'll find you the discount code and we'll, we'll, we'll create a UK discount code. Can you get a PDF? No, that's the last thing we're going to do. We're not passing out the PDF. Sharif Antoya wants us to hack us here. Uh, that's the last thing any, any book producers want to do is the PDF. What's the website for the grammar book? Safinapress.com. That's the website there. And we'll put it here too for the Insta, as the Arabs call it, Insta. Uh, Safinapress.com. Okay. Are there any books you recommend regarding this topic? Which topic were we talking about, first of all? Because this is a comment from before. So Subhi, which topic are we specifically talking about? Here's, here comes a question from Zali. What is the Islamic way of getting to know yourself? Oh, this is easy. And it's amazing. You set up little wars between yourself and the prohibitions of the Sharia. That's where you're going to get to know yourself. In that battle, you're going to get to know yourself. There are obligations and there are prohibitions of the Sharia. This is the first way in which you're going to get to know yourself. And you must do this first. So the Sharia tells me, stop this. You want to get to know who you are? Let's see you stop it. Sharia says, do this. You want to get to know who you are? What you're made out of? Go do it. All right? That's the first way. Now you have to do that first. What's the second way? The second way is offer something to society. What do you have to offer to society? That tells you about who you are. Your natural gifts will come out. Like, what can you do that nobody else could do? Okay. What can you do in society that nobody else could do? Because that's where you're going to be useful. Don't do something that everyone else is doing unless you're doing it in a way that no one else is doing. Right. So uh, that's the second way. The third way, have a family. It will relieve, reveal a lot about you how you interact with them over time, not just one time, over time. The question about uh, the book, uh, he meant books, Subhi meant books regarding Ibn Waqt. I have no knowledge of this, to be honest with you. I don't know about it, to be honest. Uh, Peace 6061. What about the dream of showering with clear water? This means forgiveness of sins, and it's a beautiful thing, and we can say this easily, because it's from the Prophet's dua. Oh Allah, wash them with water and and snow and what is cool. All right, let's see what else we got here. Let's go all the way down because I'm still I'm still way up. I'm going to go all the way down. 
What is tadabbur? Tadabbur is contemplation. Is it an obligation? No. It's just recommended when you recite the Quran, do tadabbur. Abdullah U.S., I think my questions were skipped. All right, let's go up to Abdullah U.S. because he's a plaintiff right now. Abdullah U.S. Muhammad Azogbi, can a kafir give you hasad? Yes. What should you say to get rid of it? Surah Al-Falaq Al-Nas and the Awrad of the morning and the evening. And MashaAllah, say MashaAllah. If he doesn't say it, you say it for him. Abdullah U.S., can you explain the difference? between acceptable abortion and not, and when and why it is allowed. First, we have a video on this, number one. Can one use means like foods or medicines to prevent or stop an assumed pregnancy? So birth control. Or immediately stopping a, a, a pregnancy right after, so that's what they call plan B. It's like a $75 pill. Okay. The answer is that abortion is permitted. There's different medhabs on this. And, the fir- and I recommend you go back to that video and watch the first so that summarizing it here may take a while. But the general summary is that abortion is differed upon. Bef- it's, it's agreed upon. It's, it's differed upon for no, when it's no reason for 40 days. For the first 40 days, and there's no reason to do it. It's differed upon. Some, from permitted to sinful but not murder. It's differed upon. The first 40 days is differed upon. Then the second 120 days is differed upon with the Madikis holding that it's murder if there's no reason for it. Because the Madiki hold insolment to be at 40 days, not 120 days. That's the first thing you got to know. Secondly, after 120 days, it is agreed upon that if the mother is to die, then abortion is permitted. That's agreed upon. Khalili al-Maliki, he says he's got these glasses now. Um, these are the best glasses, mashallah. This, this shape and everything, it's the best. I'm not a fan of rectangular glasses. First of all, how do you see the... the I used to have rectangular glasses. Yeah, Habib's got them too. I used to have the rectangular glasses, and you see lines, right? It's all you see is lines. I used to hate those. All right, so Abdullah Yuas, we've answered his question. Uh, Sophia says, Salah at Salah at tafrijiyah it's on Salawat Hub. It may have a different name though. Can the love of dunya and akhirah coexist? Yes, it can. Right? But in that case, for a mu'min, it will not necessarily, he can transform his dunya into a way in which he gains the web. So, Sayyidina Ali gave us the, the, the formula for this. Sayyidina Ali was once seen drinking a, a cool, cool, uh, cold water in a, on a hot day. And his father said, Oh, Father, I thought you didn't do this. Because in those times, the way of the Zuhad, the ascetics, is that they wouldn't drink cold water. they just drink room temperature water. Because right? cold water was a big deal for them. So what, they did, what he did was he said, Oh son, I want to extrapolate the gratitude out of my heart. I want to take the shukr out of my heart. Okay? And that's basically what, uh, why he enjoyed the ni'mah. So we enjoy the ni'mah knowing it's going to increase us in love of the mun'im the giver of the gift. We enjoy the gift knowing that it's going to make us love the giver of the gift even more and be thankful even more. That's the way to do it. Where should you look during the prayer in the Madiki Madhab? Mainly it is straight and down is permitted but straight is the sunnah. 
What is a good Maliki alternative for the Hanafi book Lubab? Sharh of Quduri. Um, that would require me to really know the level of Sharh al Quduri and Lubab, and I'm not familiar with that. But I'm assuming something like the commentaries on, like Adawi Sharh al Risala, maybe at that level. Adawi Sharh al Risala. Ibrahim Khan, is it appropriate after making dua? We answer this. Gucci isn't love of dunya. It's just a waste of money. <laughs> Ibrahim Khan, what is this day two or day three of you asking that? You really got that, want that Gucci shirt. So Ibrahim Khan is asking about a t-shirt? What does it have to do with me? Let's see. Ibrahim Khan. What is he saying here? Can the love of dunya and akhirah coexist? I think it's that, right? No, no, it's, uh, it's the Okay. Is it true that it was advised against memorizing the Quran too fast? No, it's it's advised from reciting the Quran without any thoughtfulness. That's what's that's what's discouraged. The discouragement is reciting the Quran without any thoughtfulness. All right, let's go to Facebook. These poor guys get ignored. How is the dhikr ring going? Dhikr ring is very a very good thing to me it's working very well we're getting more of it should we let's get more of them okay good we'll do that so uh sabra what will the status of the quran after the day of judgment once everyone is either heaven and hell it's still the book of allah and it's still recited and the entrance into akhirah when people enter into the into jannah the the ceremony beginning that the ceremony to begin that is essentially opened by recitation of Quran. Ibrahim Khan asks a question. If I disagree with a school of thought that I follow, but I like another school of thought Yes. <laughs> Mufti Ibrahim. He likes another school of thought and follow that. Does that make me sinful? It's not sinful, but you're not on the right track. It's not the right way to do things. I'm going to read the question to myself now before because I'm reading questions and that's turning out to be comments between people. Sophia says in Surah Al-An'am, ayah number 124, the name of Allah appears twice with no separation. I heard it is a place to make dua. Is this true? Allahu A'lam, but there's definitely no harm in doing that. Oh, when they, when they said after midnight. They said, they said they're referring to something that you mentioned in the past. Midnight? Yeah. What midnight? This uh, salawat at midnight. Oh, yes. The best salawat at midnight. Allahumma Allahumma salli salatan kamila wa sallim salaman tamman ala nabiyyin tanhalu bihi al-uqd wa tanfariju bihi al-kurab wa tuqda bihi al-hawaij wa tunalu bihi al-raghaib wa husnu al-khawatim wa yustasqa al-ghamamu bi wajhi al-kareem wa ala ali That's one of them. That's salat al-kamila. It's called. The other one is Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad 
الذي تنحل به العقد وتنفرج به الكرب It's the same one. Okay, which one's the other one? Let me say But they're very similar, those two, extremely similar. So if you if you recite that like a hundred times in the tahajjud time in the middle of the night, you will find the next day many openings and many much relief if you have ikhlas, much relief. Subhanallah. Is it permissible to do tarahum on Christians and Jews from before Islam? Says Adam. And the answer is la. We don't know their state. Unless they were followers of a prophet, of course. When Allah loves someone, Ibrahim Khan says, when Allah loves someone, he makes others love them. So then why are like actresses, actors, and other people who are not on the path of, of truth loved so much because when it says when Allah loves someone he makes others love them it means the pious the pious believers that's what it means it does mean everybody uh, one of the signs that someone has been made a wali is that that means in the earth he's accepted in whose hearts the hearts of the mu'mineen the pious Muslims not Everybody on the earth. How many times should the salawat kamala be read at night? If you can do 100, then that is best. And that's just like a number that ulama talks about that it has worked for them. So the basis of that is tajrib. Trial and error. Chief Latif, and I'll only take a couple more questions. There's a lot of cross-contamination in restaurants. Is it required to ask a waiter or a cashier if there's cross-contamination? That's why we should really be... No, no, you're not required to go into the molecular level of things. That's the truth. You're not required to do that. As long as the general food and the process is, is halal for you, that's all you're required to do. Adam says... Uh, or sorry, Ahmed Janjua says, is making dua or khutbah in a melodic tone allowed? There are some statements that is makruh, but it's not going to invalidate it. Hadi Nuf. Is it bad to wear discernibly religious clothing that were gifts and out of love for the pious without being qualified like a scholar? The only thing that is forbidden for us to wear is if any society has a garment that is for a mufti. So in the old days, the, the, the large turban was only worn by muftis. So that you know that you can ask him a question. In the same way that walking around with a police outfit is illegal, impersonating a doctor, wearing a doctor's outfit and walking around a hospital is probably going to get you, the security will shut you down because people will ask you medical questions and you're, you're not qualified. As long as you avoid that, that's fine. But if you're going to dress in a certain way now people are going to start asking you questions and then getting misguided, right? Then no. Then, then you shouldn't dress like that. Reggie says, can you come to Dallas along, and we'll host you along with Ammar and Alian? Our guys, Ammar and Alian, they formed their own crew though, down there, out in Dallas. So eventually we're going we're gonna to be taking a trip to Dallas because we got two of our very own there. So we got to go see them, got to go visit them. 
Is it easier for you to do salawat in English? Is that okay? No, I think you should learn the Arabic for the salawat. Do you know the meaning of drinking rose water in a dream? No. Malik Ahmed says, It is sunnah to recite Surah Al-Mulk every evening. That's correct. Surah Al-Baqarah every week at home. Is it okay to recite without understanding? Yes, it is. You will still get the benefit. You will still get the full benefit. When is daylight saving change in the U.S.? Good question. It's soon. It's like, it's not this week. It's not this. They're canceling it for 2023. Yeah, that's what I thought too, but I found out that they're canceling it for 2023. Yeah, well, they're giving everyone time for it to proliferate. Yeah, to proliferate. The cutters for pizza. Do we have to ask if the cutter... If you have a suspicion that, and there's probably going to be used for pepperoni, then you would have to scrape off the sides of each slice. Or ask them, don't cut it, I'll cut it myself. Yeah. No one ate it. Why don't you scrape the sides? (laughs) (laughs) Chief Latif says, second Sunday of November, the times changed. Will our ArcView classes times change? ArcView class times will will always hover around the 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the evening classes. Any advice on a COVID death, says P61? Yes, I think that a COVID death, you should have husnad dhan in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that a COVID death is, um, a COVID death is, is shahada. Because there are many, when they spoke about it, they said it counts as a, con- a plague, or, or not a plague, but contagion. A contagion. And the Prophet promised shahada for the one who dies in a contagion. Here it says, last question, we'll go to one or two more. Dino says, what did you mention was great to recite at night? As-salah al-kamila and as-salah al-tafrijiyah 100 times. Which one? What did you say? Which uh, one? Who was it? How someone deal with like, the nudeness at gyms? Not going. Yeah. Oh, buy your own equipment. Some dumbbells. Yeah, just buy your own stuff. Do some push-ups. Yeah. Nudeness at gyms. Hakanite says the 2023 canceling has not been confirmed. It has to go to the House and the Senate. Well, hopefully that's something they can agree on for once. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, very unfortunately, we must stop here. I wish we can continue doing Q&A, but we can't. And the Facebookers, since they always get ignored. Sadia Warsi. What is the method of doing sajdat as-sahu? That's a Facebook question, and that is something that will take a while, but there are eight things. If you miss them, I'm just going to say it once, and you have to rewind it after this stream is over. Eight things. If you forget them, then before you salam out, you do two sujood, and then you repeat the tahiyyah, and then you salam out. And these eight things are, this, you forgot to recite the second surah after Fatha in the first two rakas. You recited what should have been silent out loud, or what is out loud silent. And you skipped by accident either one or of the two tashahuds. Okay? You did not say, Sami Allahu Hamid. You did not say, Allahu Akbar. 
in any of the movements, besides the first takbir, but first takbir is fard, of course. Any takbir after that. Okay? And you did not sit for the tashahud. You said the tashahud in any other situation. That's eight. I'm not going to repeat them again because we got to go, but just you could just rewind them. Okay? And clip it, and then you'll watch that portion over and over and over until you memorize it. Can all your dhikr be salawat? Says pearls of prayer, yes. But of course, we're not going to uh, uh, avoid reading the Quran, right? But besides the Quran, it can be all salawat. Glitter says, thank you. I loved especially your episode on the bee venom. By the way, they clipped that. That was clipped and made into another video. So it's a standing video by itself that you could read about and you could see about um, bee venom. And Ryan will put the, the um, he'll put it up now. There, it's on the right. Up. Yeah, there you go. Right under there. There. Bee venom. It's an amazing thing because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says from the stomach of the bee. Not honey. He didn't just say honey. Right? It doesn't include just honey. It includes the venom too and maybe even more. Right? Because it's يَخْرُجُ مِنْ بُطُونِهَا From its stomach. شَرَابُ مُخْتَلِفٌ أَلْوَانُهُ فِيهِ شِفَاءُ لِلنَّاسِ So, alright ladies and gentlemen, جَزَاكُمْ اللَّهُ خَيْرًا سُبْحَانَكَ اللَّهُمَّ وَبِحَمْدِكَ نَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنْتَ نَسْتَغْفِرُكُ وَنَتُوبُ إِلَيْكَ وَالْعَصْرِ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرِ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَات